Thank you, Les. I am thrilled and honored to review this book by John Bunyan here at the John Riesinger Conference. <laughs> Wait a minute, I said that wrong, didn't I? I get those two confused all the time. So which one came first? A month or so ago, I was eating a dinner with Jacob at one of our Reform Fellowship meetings that we have in Morgantown. And I related to him how I was reading for the second time in defense of Jesus, the new lawgiver. And what a blessing it had been going through it the second time. So a few weeks later, or maybe the next week, I get a call from Jacob, and he says, would you do me a favor? Well, sure, if I can. He said, would you review, in defense of Jesus, the new lawgiver, 15 minutes at the Bunyan Conference? And Jacob is such a nice guy. He could never say no to Jacob. So I said, sure, I'd be glad to. To be perfectly honest, I would have rather been asked to review this book at the Together for the Gospel conference a couple of weeks ago. Uh, not just because there's a lot more people there, but uh, because I think, again, what John sets forth in this book, the truths, are truths that need to be discussed and read and probably thought through in a lot of ways by many of the people who are attending there. As John states it, Simply stated, this book asserts that Jesus is a new and higher lawgiver who replaces Moses in exactly the same way he replaces Aaron as high priest. The invitation to the Together for the Gospel conference never came, so I'm here. <laughs> as it were, speaking, speaking to the choir. I'm sure that most of us, or most of the people here, have read in defense of Jesus, the new lawgiver. My encouragement to you would be to read it again. And this is one of those works that needs to be read and thought about and read and thought about and read and thought about. I think, along with the other book that's going to be reviewed, that Mo's going to review by Tom Wells and the priority of Jesus. Let me just remind us this afternoon as we start for a moment, John's stated purpose in writing this book. This book has a twofold purpose. First, it is a response to a series of challenges to New Covenant theology that Dr. Richard Barcellus offered in his book entitled In Defense of the Decalogue. The challenges were made to anyone holding to New Covenant theology in general and to me personally. Dr. Barcellus's book is written in an ironic, if you're an old football coach like me, that means peaceful uh, type of spirit, uh, and will prove to be very helpful in the present discussion in Reformed circles on the relationship of the Old and New Covenant. I sincerely hope this response is just as ironic and helpful. The second purpose of this book is to set forth what New Covenant theology actually does believe in light of the eight areas where Barcellus states his objections. The title of both books tell the whole story. Barcellus is defending the view that the Decalogue, or words of the covenant, written on t stone tables of, of the covenant, Exodus 34, 27, and 28, 
are the highest expression of the law of God ever given. We believe the new covenant revelation given to us by Christ and his apostles is a higher and more demanding law than anything given through Moses. Simply stated, this book asserts that Jesus is a new and higher lawgiver who replaces Moses in exactly the same way he replaces Aaron as high priest. Barcellus insists that Christ is the greatest exegete of the law of God given to Moses, but in no sense gives any higher or demanding law than Moses. We believe Christ is not only a lawgiver, but he is the full and final lawgiver who supersedes and replaces all others. I personally believe John, by the grace of God, has accomplished both of these stated purposes in this work. The very heart of the book, if you have not read it, is, is a response to eight areas of disagreement Richard Barcellus has with New Covenant theology. And anyone holding to this understanding of the relationship between the Old and New Covenants in the history of God's redemptive purpose for his people. John answers each challenge with a clear exegesis of biblical texts written in a way that anyone who is truly seeking to think through and wrestle with this subject will be able to comprehend and understand even if you don't necessarily come to, to all the, the in agreement with the conclusions. As John himself states, if our readers will carefully digest what Barcellus writes, and we urge every reader to do just that, and then carefully compare that with our corresponding comments, they should be able to form an impartial opinion of who correctly exposits the scripture. And as to John's second stated purpose in writing this book, they will clearly see what New Covenant theology actually does believe in these eight areas. So I would encourage you to take Barcellus's book in defense of the Decalogue or any other of your favorite covenant theologian writing in the area of law, relationship of covenants, take John's book in defense of Jesus, the new lawgiver, take your Bible, whatever translation you would prefer, King James, David Morse, sitting back there, and with much prayer, sit down and think through and read and study in these areas. And see which author, which position, is more closely faithful to the text. Also, I think in, in rereading in defense of Jesus, the new lawgiver, John's response in this debate is serves such an excellent example of how theological debate is to take place. He points out areas of agreement whenever possible. He pays compliments when appropriate. 
And he writes truly in a spirit of peace, which again fulfills one of his stated purposes. There are four appendices in the book that I think are tremendously helpful in the area of people beginning to wrestle through these areas. The first one is of interest to Southern Baptists. And John just shows, particularly with the Founders Movement, their, their commitment to the 1689 Confession and the implications of that for, for, for different positions. His second appendix is a response to Table Talk, September 2002, an open letter to uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul. And, and what was tremendously helpful in this second appendix, even as I went through it the second time, was, was to just be tremendously assured that, uh, that John Riesinger and Tom Wells and Fred Zaspel, at worst, can only be one-tenth antinomian. <laughs> at very worst. The third appendix is entitled, What is Covenant Theology? And he takes three presuppositions of covenant theology and just deals with them and shows the implications of, of these three presuppositions. John, again, to quote him, says, If you disprove any one of them, you have greatly weakened, if not actually destroyed, classical covenant theology. Then the fourth appendix is a discussion on the subject, is there a moral law of God? And it just, tremendously helpful just to think through these things and to read it and, and reread it. You also find an 11-page scripture index at the end of the book that, that is very helpful. If you have not read this book, repent, rip your clothes, Get ashes, pick it up, and start tomorrow. Probably many of you, like, I guess, you know, you're supposed to find something wrong when you re review a book. And uh, so my one complaint, I guess, would be that uh, John didn't write this book about 33 years ago. When I, as a young man, was headed off to seminary at at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, an elderly pastor, Scott Richardson, from Katy Baptist Church. Uh, David knows him, and uh, there's some great stories concerning John and that church, but we don't have time to go into that in the 15 minutes. But uh, he, he told me, he said, Michael, he said, beware of that covenant theology. And I really had no idea what he was talking about. So I spent the first six months at RTS kind of looking behind every tree for, for this demon that was going to jump out and grab me. And, but how helpful it would have been. And this is my encouragement, particularly to some of the younger men who are beginning to wrestle here a little bit, is to this book will be extremely helpful to you as you wrestle through and, and think through these areas. John, we, we thank God for your love for the Lord Jesus Christ for your love of the scriptures, and for your love of Christ's body, the church. And this book is, an I think, will prove to be an extremely helpful aid to the body of Christ. That was 13 minutes of my 15 minutes. Before I sit down, I would just like to just mention one other book. Uh, 
particularly to pastors and to people who are either ministering to or involved with people who have lost a loved one. Uh, you may be familiar with this book. It's entitled A Tearful Celebration by James Means. It's one of the best uh, resources that I have found in just ministering to people during the whole grieving process of, of losing a loved one. My wife and I are involved with a hospice group now that dealing with adults that have lost children and uh, have found this to be a tremendous blessing in people's lives. And so I just throw that out to you. If you I have a copy of it if you'd like to look at it. Uh, a tearful celebration. It's a pastor who lost his wife to cancer. And he writes this book to his children to encourage them in God's purposes and his sovereignty and his love in all things. James Means, M-E-A-N-S. And as I'm sitting down, we have a family conference at Laurelville. I have brochures. If you like it, come and see me. See, your reputation precedes you as well. It's a tough audience, but they're yours. Thank you, brother. I can look at that clock. I've been noted to go over, but that's usually with the home folks. And uh, I, fifteen minutes. Here, yes, so. I realize that. <laughs> I should be done by the half-hour mark. Uh, I, I've been given the honor to give a little uh, soundbite with respect to Tom Wells's excellent book, *The Priority of Jesus Christ*. Okay, how many of you have read it? Get those hands up. Okay. Uh, Someone, someone tipped off Tom that I'd be doing this, uh, as he supposed, a critique of his book. And I got a phone call. I see on my phone, Tom Wells. And he says, I want you to go in there and, you know, really let me have it. Don't be afraid. Don't hold back. Right, Tom? You know, I might be, I don't think I'm exaggerating, but, you know. So, Tom, now's the time to get out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> or I could have actually said, you know, I'll, I'll just make out the check to Mo Bergeron. But anyway, I, I consider it a privilege to be even standing here. They would not let me sit in a chair to do this. I do not know why. On a sign of grace list, or the discussion list, uh, myself and Jack and Joe, we serve as the guardian angels to protect John and basically, hopefully, to protect the reputation of the list, whatever that may be. And, uh, but it's an interesting thing. If you have nothing to do, you, you, you tie to Facebook, you know, subscribe to the Sign of Grace uh, discussion list, and maybe you can contribute something which would be profitable and, uh, and bring the Spirit of Christ with you. And I've always been taken back by how many people who say they, they are a pastor, they are a teacher in the body of Christ, and, and then they decide doing email, and you wonder how, where did the horns come from? Uh, because they get vicious and they get mean-spirited. And I have to say the, the, uh, the exception has always been John Riesinger. He's always been the most gracious person, always fielded the most difficult questions. And uh, he, his heart has really kept that list going, and we've kept the list going primarily for John's uh, uh, to serve our common goal, that is to get these things which we love out to a larger audience. They're now down to the business. Anyway, I was called to do a... a, a uh, a plug for Tom Wells' book, and I'll put it that way there. 
And I, when, when Tom called up, I, I just couldn't imagine myself doing a critique as such as Jack Jeff would do if he didn't like you. <laughs> so I didn't bring up volumes of, uh, you know, folders and, and, you know, basically with all of the, uh, all of the scholarly work to disprove whatever this writer has said. And, uh, but Jack can do that, so watch out. And I thank God for guys like Jack. Anyway, The Priority of Jesus Christ by Tom Wells, published by New Covenant Media. It's a gutsy publication outfit uh, operated by Santa Grace, John Riesinger, uh, Jacob Mosley, our, our, our general manager. And uh, we've published things that no one else has the guts to publish. And uh, thank God for that. And I thank God also that we live in a day and age where a publisher can't help you from getting the word out because there are outlets like Amazon.com, Lulu, whatever you want to make yourself, you know, avail yourself to that will also circulate and publish your, your literature, even though other publishing houses will not. Uh, going about this and saying, well, how am I actually going to take this on, this task, and do it within the time required, and time's running out? Uh, I, I want you to think, uh, how many of you watched that movie, uh, Alice in Wonderland, or whatever it was, or have you brought your kids to it recently in the theaters? None of you, huh? You don't go to movies, I'm sorry. Wrong crowd. <laughs> uh, but anyway, if you haven't seen the previews to Alice in Wonderland, you didn't have to go to the movie, because everything that was really good about the movie was in the, you know, the, the previews. And uh, so I'm very careful here this morning, out of, out of ten chapters, I give you little snippets out of five. So you have to buy the book to get the balance of it, okay? And I'll give you a little snippets. It might be a little uh, boring to you. It was not boring to me, and, and I hope it does justice to, to what Tom is communicating. Anyway, Tom Wells begins in his introduction. He says, some time ago, I met a man who said quite bluntly, we say too much about Christ and too little about God. He said this in the interest of orthodoxy with particular zeal for the sovereignty of God. I might have reasonably assumed that I would hear sympathetically what he said. I have written a book that treats of the sovereignty of God and another on world missions in which I emphasize the central place of God, excuse me, the central place God must take in all of our witness. Surely I would agree, I did not agree. And that is the reason for this book. And he goes on. Uh, I have a little comment here. Uh, if you don't know what Tom is saying here about people's concern about how we uh, promote the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, uh, you, you've never met some of our Reformed brethren. And I was at a conference in New England, a, a conference I attended regularly, the Bolton Conference, and I remember a man who had known John Riesinger over the years, and John's name came up, and they were mutual friends way back when. And he said something awfully odd to me. He comes from a, uh, you know, the Westminster convic conviction. He says, you people, he says, you people, he says, uh, you, you, you know, you don't really get the full picture. It's about God. And they say that with so much solemnity that you, you can almost be convinced. You know? And what he meant by that, what he was applying about that is that uh, you speak a lot about Jesus, but we talk about God. So I'm the right guy to do this review because everything you say in this book resonated with my heart. Why? Because God is so interested in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father says, this is my son, listen to him. So God is Christ-centered. He is Christ-focused. Okay? And Jesus, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who would accompany us throughout our journey of life, he says, and he will bring everything about me to your attention. 
Okay? Here he reminds you of the things which I said. We realize that in the first sense, the apostles, he says this. But we also realize this is applicable to the church as well. The Holy Spirit constantly reminds us of the loveliness of our God that we see in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's exciting, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that has been made as a complaint with regards to much of today's literature is that there's no fire in it. And you scholars, you guys who are putting together your books and hope to reach an audience, one of the first things I look for is the fire in the words uh, which you write. There's so much that is right, you know, theologically, doctrinally, but there's no warmth. There, there is no compassion for the things of Christ. There is no loveliness of Christ that seems to exude from the pages for which you read. And all of us, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, read Spurgeon for a little while. Okay? When you read the sermons of Spurgeon, which I was brought up upon as a young believer, you would read Spurgeon and say, oh, wow, this is the God I love. This is the God who thrills my heart. This is the God who, who makes me tick. You know, this is God I want to meet. This is God I want to be able to feel his kisses upon my face. And I want to be able to do like John and find repose upon his breast. You know, some of you guys, you know, I mean, not some of us, I'm sure, but some theologians, they're right, and God is so cold. He's so removed. He's so aloof. And, and never do we find him saying, come, come, come unto me. It's oftentimes like we're, we're, we're basically, uh, you know, with those Sinai preachers, that's what I call them. Always preaching Lord, always stay away, stay away. I had one brother say, uh, you know, he says, before you go into the Holy Holies, because, you, you know, you get a, a sin issue, take care of the sin issue, then go into the Holy Holies. And I said, no, no, I'm, I, <laughs> haven't you heard that he runs to meet me in a way? You know, that I need, I need God now. There's nothing I can do to clean up. He's got to clean me. He's got to wash me. And uh, so anyway, so when you pick up a book like this here, The Priority of Jesus Christ, and you begin cutting through the pages, you say, this is what New Covenant theology is. Dave Frampton said years ago, some of you know Dave, maybe we have a misnomer here. Maybe we should not have coined it New Covenant Theology, maybe we should have coined what we have an interest in as Christ-focused theology. And it's so true. If our New Covenant Theology is not Christ-focused theology, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. In this book of Tom's, he reminds us why God is so precious in the face of Jesus Christ. And why God has provided the face of his son for us to peer into and to examine, examine and to handle so that we can see the loveliness of his father as well. I don't know about you, but I never really knew the father until I knew Jesus. And, and, and again, Tom reminds us of this over and over and over. And Tom has some interesting warnings here as well uh, about the things we appreciate with the scriptures and, and how the scriptures speak of Jesus Christ, about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit, um, you know, when we hear the Holy Spirit, we're hearing Jesus. When we read the apostolic writers, we're hearing Jesus. And where we go, as we know, as those who appreciate the written word from Genesis to Revelation, we go like the two on the road to Emmaus, looking for Jesus in the Old Testament scriptures. You know, some people just go there and look for law. Can you imagine going to the Old Testament scriptures not looking for Jesus? And yet that's what so many do. You know, the Sinai preachers, they're just looking for another law to beat you over the head with. 
That doesn't encourage the hearts of God's saints. Nothing encourages the hearts of God's saints. Nothing puts their feet in proper step before God than as they walk following their Savior and their Lord and their Master. So I'm not doing exactly what I thought I was going to do. Karen will tell you that. Um, and I, I end up preaching and teaching and all that type of thing. And, you know, God has spared you all these years for not having Mo Bergeron up here. But, you know, I've been so privileged to know men, not as close with Tom, but to be influenced by their love of the Savior. And uh, when you go home, and people say, what, what is New Covenant Theology? And, and we like to have a book that says A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, well, whatever. And we, we like to do that. But if you really want to tell them what New Covenant Theology is all about, tell them to read about Jesus Amen. and why Jesus is our priority. Okay? And uh, if that doesn't warm their hearts, just show them the door. <laughs> because there's something wrong with them. And we have too many frozen chosen already who's given a bad name to the things we love and the things we treasure. So I promised myself before I came up here this morning, I said, Lord, I don't want to commit the same mistake that Mike made in his, his review. <laughs> but I highly want to commend to you Priority of Jesus Christ by Tom Wells. And I'll tell you something, if you know Tom a little bit, he loves the Savior. And I, I said earlier, just a footnote in closing, I'm jealous for Jesus Christ, aren't you? I'm jealous for his reputation. Tom is more so jealous for the reputation of Jesus Christ. Okay? The cold letter will not transform any man by itself. It's only as it's handled in the hands of Christ and when he speaks to your heart that it transforms the minds and the hearts of God's people. Right? Tom, thank you for this book.